Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. My name's Rick Zamprin. Most Canadians plan to borrow money by year's end. Hamilton Food Bank users are amongst the poorest of the poor. McMaster University wants to prevent a repeat of a fake homecoming party. Gas prices continue to creep upward. Is Facebook any closer to being regulated? And how's your mental health these days? The Good Morning Hamilton podcast starts now. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Gas prices in Hamilton have been hovering around uh, $1.28, $1.38 over the past few weeks. I think the average price now is $1.35. Price peaked at $1.40 at a couple of gas stations earlier this week. Saw that before it dropped back down. But we're learning the sticker shock may be even greater in the weeks to come. Our guest is Dan McTagg. He's the president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Dan. Good to be here, Rick. Well, it's the long weekend. I guess we should expect gas prices to creep upwards. They usually do, right? <laughs> well, no, that's not right. But it, it uh, in, in the 30 years I've been doing this, um, more often than not, that's not the case because it. It has much more to do with what's happening in the United States. And thankfully, we don't have a weekend, uh, a Thanksgiving long weekend in the U.S. I take it they don't have theirs until November. So this is really the result of a spike in oil prices in response to shortages globally. And uh, Canadians, of course, uh, uh, are price takers. And that's why we saw the spike today to reach all-time records here in the greater Hamilton area, uh, Toronto, much of Ontario, Um uh, 144.9 is what I'm seeing in a lot of stations. Averages are nice, but the problem is, you know, most people see a, a gas price and uh, back and say, that doesn't look right. <laughs> They're right. <laughs> we've never seen a dollar 44.9. This is the highest price today that we have ever paid for gasoline. That's the bad news. There's short-term good news. It drops two cents a liter tomorrow. So just continue passing that gas station and wait until tomorrow or even Saturday where it might drop another penny. But uh, it's a shot across the bow, Rick, and it uh, does suggest that this is going to be a very, very painfully expensive winter, not just for gasoline, not just for diesel, which continues to rise, but also, of course, for natural gas and propane, uh, all for the same reason, shortage of supply. So the dollar forty-four in this area, GTA in specific, that's the highest ever? That is the highest ever, 144.9. I took pains to explain that on Gas Price Wizard. I have a Twitter account there. I've got 23,000 people following me. Um, and I had put this sort of together last week saying uh, the, the numbers are not, uh, are not uh, very positive. And uh, it will mean prices, even at uh, $79, $78 a barrel, we are paying far more than we did in the past. And, and I won't unparcel too much of that for you, Rick, but... You have a carbon tax of $0.10 cents a litre. That didn't exist the last time we saw these record prices in 2008. And we had a stronger Canadian dollar, which sort of shielded us. We called it the petrodollar back in the day, um, which meant that uh, as prices of oil rose, so did the value of the U.S. dollar versus the U.S. greenback. And that's critical for people to understand because we price all of our commodities in U.S. terms. So a stronger Canadian dollar means you know, our purchasing power uh, really remains intact. Now it hasn't, and... Uh, it's those two, you know, the double whammy that has led to much higher prices. You mentioned the carbon tax. Just taxes in general, I mean, they range from what, like 30 to 40 percent, depending on what province you're in? Yeah, it does. I mean, some provinces uh, like Alberta, it might uh, only be about 38, 39 percent. But here in Ontario, it pushes much closer. Uh, if you're looking at uh, federal provincial taxes, uh, you know, 12, uh, in, in the range of uh, 25 cents a litre, 
the uh, GST, HST in Ontario being uh, uh, an additional 15, 18 cents a litre, yeah, because the, you actually look at the base number and then you add the carbon tax on top of that. So 10, 15, uh, 25, uh, you're already up to 55 cents a litre uh, uh, on every dollar thirty-five, dollar forty that we're paying, and dollar forty-four, just that much higher on the GST. So yeah, I, I think your number is correct, uh, but the tax continues to be an issue because it. Uh, uh, there's no equivalency uh, in in the United States, and when you look at places like uh, uh, Vancouver, where it's a dollar sixty-five a liter today, uh, fully uh, the most taxed jurisdiction on fuel in North America. But make no mistake, uh, the taxes are there for a reason, and uh, there are many people who believe that it should be much higher. Our guest is Dan McTagg. He's the president at Canadians for Affordable Energy. Uh, you're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We know that uh, you know uh, people who are driving to and from work, taking their kids to school, whatever the case is, they're obviously impacted by higher prices. But this also has an impact on things like trucking companies and the airline industry as well, right? It does. Uh, locomotive, airline industry, travel of any type, any transportation of any type is uh, is affected. Uh, and while they may be able to write off certain things, the base increase in price, especially on the diesel side, I think is uh, is is very noticing. Um, and and for many companies, uh, they have no choice either to absorb it, uh, get out of the business, or pass it on. Uh, and it isn't lost uh, not just on you know transportation, but think of farmers here who have to use diesel in their fields. Uh, to provide us the products they have, the amount of energy required to transport, uh, the natural gas and propane, which are very also in short supply, used to dry you know their grains. These are you know critical critical input costs that uh, lead to much higher prices, and that's why I think we're seeing that so-called perfect storm uh, against consumers starting to develop, and uh, we have to brace for it because at a time in which we expect post-COVID recovery. Uh, that recovery may be painful, if not uh, quite uh, quite impossible. So now that we've breached the dollar forty barrier, how soon before we see a dollar fifty? I think we're going to see a dollar forty-eight, maybe a dollar fifty, sometime before Remembrance Day, um, and that may be very brief. But before we see that, I think prices are going to moderate. Uh, we had news yesterday that Vladimir Putin, that uh, that great uh, you know that great uh, champion of uh, of democracy and uh, and helping his European friends not uh, <laughs> saying he'll provide a little bit more natural gas to Europe and that's got uh, uh, you know that's got uh, some traders believing that's a, that's a wonderful thing but it doesn't mask the problem and that's uh, the geopolitical issues his uh, offer of course that has uh, traders trading down oil and natural gas today comes with massive conditions and uh, these are conditions that we wouldn't have accepted in the real world because we know that uh, Putin has an agenda as do other countries, but I rather than drafting into the area of foreign policy, uh, the the reality, the simple reality here, Rick, is that the world needs a lot more supply of uh, hydrocarbons, natural gas, oil, and their derivatives. Uh, we need it to fight pandemics. We need it as far as our uh, our economic well-being, as far as affordability, as far as being able to pay down our debts, uh, our national debts, as far as being able to arrest and stop inflation dead in its tracks. We don't want to go back to 1981, uh, where you had a stagnant economy and inflation. Higher energy prices is not what we need at this time. So I guess I, I'm trying to ask my friends over on the green side to put up the, the white flag for a moment and uh, let the transition be orderly, as opposed to trying to impose or really the reason why oil is as expensive as it is, 
is because they're suffocating, strangulating uh, the uh, the industry by preventing capital from getting to it to produce what they always produce. The world needs more Canadian energy, more hydrocarbons, not less. Let's settle this problem, but kick this can down the road until we uh, deal with the COVID uh, crisis and energy crisis that it's created. Dan, appreciate the time. I don't think the uh, the white flag is coming from uh, the other side, but uh, I guess you can only hope. Uh, have <laughs> a great come day. From consumers. <laughs> well, it yeah. probably will, yeah. <laughs> you too. Take care, Dan. Uh, Dan McTague, president at Canadians for Affordable Energy, giving us uh, some details on rising gas prices. $1.50, perhaps, by Remembrance Day, as he suggests. We'll keep an eye on that. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. There's a new study out from McMaster University in collaboration with Hamilton Foods Share, and it suggests that Hamilton's food bank users are among the poorest of the poor. This is a four-year study. It analyzed stats between 2015 and 2018, and that found that these local residents are struggling significantly more than most low-income residents. Here to share more information about this is Joanne Santucci. She is the CEO of Hamilton Food Share and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Joanne. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Hamilton. Uh, the study shows about one-third of all low-income households in Hamilton use a food bank at least once a year, and those households are commonly ones with children. How many people are visiting local food banks right now? I would say currently a month, 12,500 every month are unique people visiting the food bank. Wow. How does that compare to five, ten years ago? You know, it's been accumulating for 30 years up to this level, it's really about the social safety not being degraded. The holes are so large that 13,000 people fall through every month. That's just Hamilton. If In the province, it's over 500,000. Nationally, it's 1.1 million. You mentioned the social safety net. Uh, last time I checked, Ontario Works, uh, ODSP, those payments, those benefits are not increasing. How does this impact the, the situation? It's such a dire situation. One of the things about this research, which is really wonderful, uh, Professor Martin Dooley from McMaster University, economic, he's an economic professor there, he really looked at our data and said, what we need to do is compare it to other low-income households to see where we're at. So what he did is he put the uh, census data uh, from Statistic Canada over top of our data and found that the low-income people who come to see uh, food banks and have a, have a need for that service have incomes that are 40 to 60% lower than the average person who has low income in Hamilton. That was a startling revelation. We already knew people who had no supports, have nowhere to turn, come to food banks, but we really didn't realize it was that low compared to other low-income households. So if you look at Hamilton, they, they sometimes say, uh, you know, around ninety to 100,000 people live in poverty. We serve 13,000 of them, and of those 13,000, they are really the poorest of the poor in Hamilton. So, you know, without the food bank, they would really be in dire straits. They really would. Now, there was a lot of discussion on uh, the rates so far. Like, back in the early 90s, yes, I was around that long. Right? <laughs> <laughs> back in the early 90s, it, it actually was the mid-80s, most of the uh, help at this, in this kind of uh, way was done by church-based groups, and they were finding people were asking, staying later at church and asking, you know, is there any food you can give? You've got a food cupboard? That food cupboard and that message started to resonate with other anti-poverty activists, which actually started the food banking movement. So even if you look at rates now, they still have not kept up with inflation. So just for instance, if you look at um, 
just say a single parent with two children on OW, which is Ontario Works, which is what we call welfare, right? Their annual income is 12228 That's three people. If you add the child uh, benefit, the child tax benefit, which was really a generous benefit and income support to help people in these low-income situations, that adds another, say, 12000 so if you look at the annual income for three people, it's 25000 Now, if you look at the low-income measure, which set, sets the, the actual standing standard of living for providing, you know, food, shelter, the basic of needs, it's 43500 So right now, that person with two children is living with 18000 below the poverty line, which is almost 43%. Wow, that's pretty scary stuff. Joanne Santucci is our guest. She is the CEO at Hamilton Food Share. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. How has the pandemic impacted things? Yeah, with the pandemic, it was really it, it really struck a fear into the the hearts of so many people who know that when you come to the food bank, there's lineups. We have 23 programs Hamilton Food Share helps support across Hamilton. The, the amount of rejigging we had to do as far as new policies, new procedures, we were giving out more food so they wouldn't come as often, so they would, their food would last longer. And also in the beginning of the pandemic, it was quite confusing. Were people going to stay open? Weren't they going to stay open? When the supply chain started to choke a little bit, uh, you know, a lot of uh, programs are getting nervous. But we saw a decline, but only because I believe we were helping them stay home and not stand up in line. And there were so much other kind of supports for uh, people at that time. So many people were coming out and helping people who were reaching out for help. So there was a bit of a decline, maybe a 20 25% decline in that first, but all those numbers are starting to come back now to that almost 13000 every every month. Another interesting wrinkle in this study, and the data pulled from this four-year analysis, showed that the Canada Child Benefit Program, which was introduced, what, five years ago, hasn't really had a significant impact on food bank use because people are using that money on other things like rent, transportation, utilities. The, um, the stats I just read to you about that person, that single parent with two children, that is the case in point right there. It, the the benefits for the child tax benefit is a generous benefit. It's about sixty four hundred per child per year. But what is that benefit attached to? If it's already attached to a so below a standard of living, it really isn't pushing people up past and over that poverty line. It's really helping people who live above that poverty line and are just barely making it. And that infusion of uh, of uh, you know support really helps people above the poverty line. But it's certainly not pushing people across it that's for sure although it is a significant help and one of the standards that we're we're deviating to is are they better off than they were well of course they're better off than they were that's not our standard our standard here in hamilton is that we know when children go to sleep at night they're in a safe house you know what i mean when they go to sleep at night they're not going to bed hungry that's our standard here in hamilton not are they better off what is the actual standard to provide the basic needs and that's what we're comparing it to uh, really quick before we uh, we let you go, are you guys doing anything uh, different or specific or unique for Thanksgiving weekend? We are not. Um, we're putting all of our efforts into the Christmas season. Many of our uh, 23 programs will be um, giving out hampers, doing holiday meals. 
Uh, all that you need to do is go onto our website or give us a call, and we can direct people from there. Um, but uh, we are wishing everybody a Thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving really is a time to say thank you. First, thank you to the SEAL Lab, and thank you to all the frontline workers at all these emergency uh, um, agencies. And it would also, it's time to give thanks also to our media like you, Rex, who is shining light really on hunger and poverty in our community and getting, you know, our citizens more aware of, of some of the issues that are happening right here and, you know, out our front door. And if you need some help and you're out there listening, that website is hamiltonfoodshare.org. Or if you want to provide some help, or donate to the cause, that's the website to go to. Joanne, thanks for the time today and a happy Thanksgiving. Thank Enjoy your weekend. Happy Thanksgiving to you too. And happy Thanksgiving, Hamilton. That's Joanne Santucci, CEO of Hamilton Food Share, joining us on a uh, rather uh, eye-opening survey, and really not a surprising one, from uh, Hamilton Food Share and McMaster University. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Well, the fallout continues from Saturday's fake homecoming near McMaster University, in which more than 5,000 individuals gathered uh, in the Westdale neighborhood to party hard. Obviously, the uh, residents in that neighborhood, not too pleased. McMaster University, obviously, not too pleased. President David Farrar issuing an apology on Sunday. Following the fake homecoming party, Mac is embarking on a fact-finding mission to help prevent a repeat in future years. So what are they going to do? What are they going to find? Let's ask Sean Van Kunit. He's the Associate Vice President and Dean of Students at McMaster, and he joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So what is McMaster planning to do here? Well, there's a number of uh, things we're, we're doing. Uh, at the moment, we are looking at uh, there's a lot of video out there from uh, the events of Saturday uh, of course, a, a lot of the activity was simply uh, large groups of people standing around, but then there were uh, the incidents of, of destruction of property, and in particular, we're, we're interested in that. And uh, the challenge is to, to identify who, who the individuals were in, in those videos so that we can take appropriate action. And in the proactive sense, you're now um, you know, listening or contacting other universities to see how they uh, do uh, curtail these kind of uh, issues. Yeah, well, these, these types of things aren't aren't new. Um, uh, Kingston, uh, London, Waterloo—they've all had uh, years of, of, of these large street parties that, that go on, and they are difficult to contain. Um, and I don't think there's uh, any uh, naivety around thinking that they can be prevented or, or will be prevented entirely. But when it comes to the, the dangers to to people's property or to people's health, that's where we get concerned. Uh, so there are some strategies that maybe we can learn from other communities and, and employ them here in Hamilton. And what what can those be? I mean, are we talking on-campus stuff, uh, fenced-off areas? What, what are we looking at? Well, on-campus activities have been tried at, at a number of institutions, and they, they frankly don't really work that well. Students want to, to, be, able to f- be able to be free to do what they want, um, and they enjoy some of the on- off-campus activities in part because uh, well, if alcohol is involved, um, that's not something that we'd, we'd serve alcohol, especially obviously to to those who are not of age. And so, uh, inevitably, that type of activity moves off campus. Now, there are communities like Waterloo who have put up fencing and, and done that. Um, I'm not an expert on crowd control and how how or if that might work. And I think a lot of it depends on on the geography of the area and when where people might might go. If you fence off one area, there are certainly other. Other streets that are that are possibilities for for people who want to gather, and with social media, it's very easy to 
figure out where where plan B uh, might be if plan A doesn't work, and that those things can be organized within hours, if not minutes. Sean Van Kunit is our guest. He's the Associate Vice President and Dean of Students at McMaster University. We're chatting about last Saturday's uh, fake homecoming party, which uh, drew upwards of 5,000 people to the Westdale neighborhood, caused some damage. Uh, McMaster's president has apologized. I-, I think the last thing that Mac wants to have happen is that, you know, th- you're now the new school uh, in in terms of party you um, how do you how do you kind of quell any talk of that well i mean i don't i don't i'm not sure if if uh, uh, there are real efforts to you know you go out there and say listen we're not we're not the party you that that's not going to work i think uh, in part there's there's a uh, responsibility on our student population i think that um, in talking to some students uh, they they don't necessarily view uh, what happened on Saturday, and in particular the the most negative aspects of it, the destruction of, of property and uh, you know the destruction of one of the students' cars. Uh, they don't look at that favorably, and so I think there are, uh, although certainly uh, university students at Mac and elsewhere have always uh, you know in decades past wanted to party, and in decades in the future will want to party. It's uh, it's some of the most egregious behavior that I don't think people want to see, and uh, and I, I'm confident that in our student population, it's not something um, they're going to want to see continue. The challenge, of course, is that when you get uh, people from outside the community, uh, university students from outside the community, uh, university community, and, and others uh, wanting to come to Hamilton to do this, that's when you run into trouble. And that's where Kingston and London have really uh, run into trouble as well. So. Uh, how or if that's prevented or, or whether or not that's a, a possibility that, that uh, this becomes an annual event, uh, I guess that, that's to be seen. Uh, we're going to be working with the city uh, and, and with, with police to figure out how to manage this uh, in the future. We've only got about 30 seconds. Five days have passed. How many culprits have been identified and what penalties do they face? Well, we're working on, uh, um, as I said, uh, in process of identifying a few We've uh, levied one suspension to date. I expect there will be more. But at this point, it's one one suspension with a clear ID. Um, and as I said, there, everyone has a video camera in their pocket. They like to post on social media. So there's there's an, uh, a lot of video. And, and as, as I said, the challenge is amongst 35,000 students trying to wade through that and figure out, a, you know, we, we can see who that is, but we have we need a, a name attached to, the, to that video in order to act. Sean, really appreciate the time today. Good luck going forward in identifying uh, more of these people who uh, should not have done what they've done. Appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. Sean Van Kunit is the Associate VP and Dean of Students at McMaster University. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Riggs Amperin on 900 CHML. I'm here today because I believe Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. The company's leadership knows how to make Facebook and Instagram safer, but won't make the necessary changes because they have put their astronomical profits before people. Congressional action is needed. They won't solve this crisis without your help. That is the voice of a former Facebook data scientist telling Congress on Tuesday that the social network giant's products harm children and fuel polarization in the U.S. All the while, its executives refuse to change because they put profits over people. Francis Haugen testified at the Senate's Commerce Subcommittee on Consumer Protection, saying, quote, Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. The company's leadership knows how to make Facebook and Instagram safer, but won't make the necessary changes because they have put their astronomical profits 
before people. And she added that congressional action is needed. They won't solve this crisis without your help. Here to chat about this is Margaret Sullivan, a Washington Post columnist who has a great article entitled Facebook is Harming Our Society. Here's a Radical Solution for Reining It In. Margaret, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning. How are you? Not too bad yourself. Good. Thank you. Well, the term them's fighting words, I think, comes to mind when listening to Haugen's testimony. And no one should be surprised to hear what she said. We knew this stuff was going on, right? We did, but she put, um, yes, we did, absolutely. I think that it's been documented before that Facebook puts profits over the public good. We know this, but she brought particular credibility to it because she had been inside Facebook. She was a member of their civic integrity team and got disgusted enough to leave. And when she left, she left as a whistleblower, removing with her tens of thousands of pages of documentation for these kinds of um, claims that others might just sort of have as an intuitive idea, but she's got the proof. So let's dive into your radical solution. We know that self-regulation clearly has not worked with Facebook and other social media companies. So what happens now? Well, you know, um, my column in this case was really reflecting the views of a former commissioner, um, chairman of the Federal Communications Commission which is one of the big federal agencies that is supposed to sort of regulate and rule over all of this kind of stuff. Uh, his name is Tom Wheeler. Tom is a very smart guy, and he his idea, which I've sort of magnified in my column, is that what's really needed is a new agency, a new federal agency that he would call the, um, the Digital Platform Agency, or he suggests that that's a working name for it, um, that would be much more tech-savvy than the FCC or the Federal Trade Commission, which are sort of existing um, regulators right now. And, um, you know, the digital economy has exploded, as you know, as we all know. And these big digital companies, whether it's, you know, Google or Facebook or Amazon or Apple, really dominate um, our economy, but they really kind of make their own rules to a large extent. Tom Wheeler said to me, they've become like pseudo-governments, and they make their own rules. And oftentimes when they make their own rules, of course, they make rules that, that benefit themselves, not the public good. So, you know, the idea is to get out in front of this with a much more nimble, much more uh, tech-savvy new agency. We only have a minute uh, left here. We know that the legislative wheels turn very slowly. When, you know, if there's an appetite to do this, when can we see some real concrete action on this? Well, you know, it's, uh, there hasn't been, you know, Congress has kind of, you know, sort of moseyed around with it. it. Tom Wheeler thinks that, you know, the other solutions need to fully be acknowledged as inadequate and failing before something like this could actually happen. But I think with Haugen's testimony and the articles in the Wall Street Journal and on 60, and her appearance on 60 Minutes, I think we're getting closer to that now. So it's going to be interesting to see whether there's this kind of reaction that would really bring about change. We'll uh, keep our eyes on this, that's for sure. Margaret, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. 
Thanks. Thanks for having me. That is Margaret Sullivan, Washington Post columnist. Uh, by the way, I should mention that Facebook maintains that uh, Francis Haugen's allegations are misleading and insists there is no evidence to support the premise that it is the primary cause of social polarization, also dismissing uh, the claims that they are putting profits over people. I think we all realize what is happening. Uh, it is shocking to, to, to see that it has taken this long for someone to A, come out as a whistleblower, and B, for the government to seriously consider some kind of action to curtail this activity. What it's going to look like, when it's going to happen, still remain two big questions we want answers to. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. The latest Consumer Debt Index from MNP reveals 6 in 10 Ontarians, 58%, plan to borrow more money before the end of the year. About 1 in 5 say buy now, pay later options will likely be their method of payment over the next few months. Another 22% say they're looking at purchase finance options. 15% said they're likely to apply for a new credit card. And 9% are considering a payday loan. A study also shows the respondents who intend to increase their debt load, 37% said their credit card is already carrying a balance. John Athanasiu is a senior VP at MMP and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, John. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on. These stats are, I guess, a little worrisome. Is is that how you're feeling? Yeah, it's, it's a surprising twist to uh, this quarter's uh, survey. So the survey is conducted quarterly uh, by Ipsos uh, on behalf of MNP Limited, and this was an interesting uh, uh, twist this month with respect to the buy now, pay later information. So what were we seeing before? Were, were uh, less people going with that option? Well, we never really did. Uh, delved into this, but now it seems like uh, it's growing in popularity as we kind of, uh, you know, retail is is back in full bloom, so to speak. Uh, it was always strong during the pandemic, but it seems like now because things are opening up and uh, people are, are out there shopping a little, maybe less now that the retailers are offering these incentives back, like the don't pay for 12 months just to kind of... Uh, get us back into the shopping mode now that we're starting to get back into retail. Now, we've always had those kind of, hey, you don't pay a cent until, you know, X year, and it's usually, you know, 15 or 18 or 20 more, 24 months later. Uh, why is it more attractive now? Is it because the interest rates are still really low? Uh, I don't know if it's more attractive. I just think uh, there was a bit of a demand uh, during the pandemic, like there was uh, everyone was at home shopping online and whatnot. Plus, we're seeing it a little more with these online retailers are starting to offer where we didn't really have that before. So that's a bit of the change that we're seeing. Uh, it's it's being offered now online versus, you know, where you go in the store and buy. So it's, it's become more accessible. Uh, but the problem is, like, these retail incentives offer instant gratification for buying goods now and paying later. It's not always good value for consumers because... You know, the payment terms of fees and interest charges are largely, under, largely underestimated when we uh, get into these situations. Jonathan Asiu is our guest. He's a senior VP at MMP Limited. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Are Canadians more comfortable with debt nowadays? I think they are just because the low interest rates uh, are out there. And, and the survey does reflect that, that uh, people right now, about half half of the people we surveyed were more relaxed about carrying debt than they usually were. And uh, I guess people are also saying that now that interest rates are low, they'd go out and make payments or purchases that they otherwise wouldn't. 
In saying that, you've been doing this for a while now. Is debt stress um, uh, worse now than it was before? Um, the survey that we conduct quarterly is kind of, it's had its blips. Uh, with respect to the people that we see in the door right now, I think we're still kind of in the lull. Uh, ever since the pandemic hit, a lot of the licensed insolvency trustees were thinking it was going to be like the tsunami of uh, insolvency filings, but we saw the opposite. We saw uh, insol- insolvency filings drop quite a bit, actually, like the August numbers were just out. And in 2019, we saw about 3,000, close to 4,000 filings in Ontario. In 2020, in the pandemic, it dipped down to 2,300. And now in 2021, we're up slightly about 2.7 percent like 2378 so uh i guess to answer your question it's it's kind of been surprised with what's happening uh with respect to the debt stress mm-hmm. with, it doesn't seem to be out there yeah with uh with government uh, i guess programs um uh, that are assisting millions of canadians many of them are going to eventually end are we anticipating an explosion in insolvencies and, and bankruptcies well <laughs> It, it's tough to, to say because I think every six months we've been thinking it's it's going to come, but it hasn't happened and it's been well over a year now. Uh, I did see something uh, in the news the other day that October 23rd is the date that the, uh, predi- the, the, the incentives are scheduled to uh, cease and desist, but who knows what's going to happen uh, come the end of October. I don't know. I don't think the government can just kind of cut people off like that. It, it may be a bit of a a hard hit to the economy. So there's probably going to be some sort of a, a slow release when it comes to these incentives. Yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye on things. I know that you will too. John, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Great. Thanks, Rick, for having me. That is John Athanasiu. He is the senior VP at MNP Limited. Uh, also in this survey or study, 35% of respondents say they're worried that higher interest rates could push them into bankruptcy And the Consumer Debt Index from MNP reveals that many Canadians are living paycheck to paycheck still. And that's not a surprise, really, especially during the pandemic. But 46% say that they are $200 or less away from not being able to meet their financial obligations. So, yeah, money is tight. Debt loads are rising. A shocking 9%, according to the survey, considering a payday loan. You know you're in dire straits when that is perhaps your only option. It's it's not a very good option. I'll tell you that. I can't speak from personal experience, but do some due diligence if you're considering a payday loan. The interest rates are astronomical. Take a guess at what they are. If you're guessing 30%, I mean, the average credit card is what, 26, 28%, something around there, especially in, in the department stores. Uh, payday loan, you're looking at Upwards of 300 or 400 percent interest. Payday loan is probably not your best option. And hey, listen, if you are finding it hard to make ends meet, to give MNP or any other reputable, and I say reputable because there are some scoundrels out there, reputable um, debt, insolvency, bankruptcy, consumer proposal uh, entity or organization, they'll be able to help you out. And more often than not, their first meeting or consultation is free and they they just want a bunch of information you know how did you get to this place what are your debts what are your assets they go through the budget If, if you don't have a budget get one it's it's fairly simple to do calculate all the things you pay for factor in all the money you make and uh, there's your budget. 
basically at the end of the day. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. Vote online in our Twitter poll question today. The handle is at AM900CHML. As World Mental Health Day approaches, how would you describe your mental health? The results are in up until at least this point. You can vote until 6 this evening. Um, 49% say their mental health is okay. 37% say terrible. And 14% say fantastic. You can vote now at am 900 CHML. Joining us to talk about mental health and World Mental Health Day is Dr. Stephen Selchin, the Chief of Psychiatry and Medical Director of Mental Health and Addiction Services at Joe Brandt Hospital. Dr. Selchin, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Not too bad. What do you think of our Twitter poll results? It kind of encapsulates what many people are feeling these days. Yeah, well, I think that's bang on. You know, the last uh, year and a half has been hard on a lot of folks, and so, uh, you know, not to, not surprised to hear so many people saying that uh, that they're feeling like their mental health is is uh, not where it once was right now. This used to be a silenced topic or a hidden kind of topic. There's a lot more attention being paid nowadays to mental health, and rightfully so. This is a good thing. Uh, given that, are more people seeking help from Joe Brandt and other organizations for their mental health and addictions? Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, it, it is so good that, that we can talk about this more and more openly now. I think, uh, you know, lots happened over the last decade to reduce some of that stigma, but certainly during the pandemic, I think, you know, all bets are off and people are talking a lot more openly about their mental health, uh, which is great. Um, and a lot of people are seeking help. Um, you know, to, to be honest, uh, we're getting about two and a half times the referrals from family doctors as we did before the pandemic. So lots of people reaching out, um, although I think there's a lot of people out there that are you know, still not, uh, not reaching out for help when they need it. What uh, mental health and addiction supports are available at Joseph Brandt Hospital? Um, so you know, a lot we've done a lot, we've done a lot uh, at Joseph Brand Hospital um, over the last several years um, in order to really uh, increase um, and improve uh, the kinds of services that are available. And, and certainly during the pandemic, we've really ramped that up. And so one of the things that I do want people to know in the community is that we are here to support you. Uh, our hospital and our partners, uh, in terms of the other mental health and addiction agencies in the community, we work really close together to provide a full suite of services um, for uh, pretty much what anybody needs and so people really need to uh people need to know that we actually you know our programming um is uh, is really at sort of the leading edge um of uh, innovative programming to make sure that people have access to what they need when they need it right a lot of the history of mental health and addictions is people waiting for really long times for services and finding the system really confusing so we've worked really hard with our, our partners to cut out that confusion um, and to cut out wait times and have have what people need available when they need it. Our guest is Dr. Stephen Selchin, Chief of Psychiatry and Medical Director of Mental Health and Addiction Services at Joseph Brandt Hospital. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. I've always thought about this. Is Are there warning signs when it comes to mental health issues? I'm sure. Look, I mean, you know, uh, both things that we can keep an eye on for ourselves, um, but also, you know, the people that we know well and and that are close around us, um, right? Everyone's going to have moments of uh, stress and challenge, especially during such challenging times, right? So we don't want to overreact, but we don't want to underreact. In particular, we're looking for 
prolonged uh, periods of, of change, both in terms of how we're feeling and how we're functioning, right? So the functioning is really, uh, you know, the, the key to keep an eye out for. If people are kind of dropping off in terms of how they normally uh, go about their uh, their functioning in either their personal or, or, you know, at work or at school with their kids, that kind of stuff, that's, uh, that's probably one of the more important uh, signs that, um, you know, that we may want to step in and, and, and offer some help. You mentioned earlier that a lot more people are paying attention to their mental health. A lot more people are seeking uh, supports and help for that, uh, but not everyone is. How do we get that last group uh, involved in this process? Yeah, absolutely. Well, things like this, like, you're, you know, you're, you're paying really important attention to an important topic. So if anybody is out there and, and listening um, and, uh, you know, you think you might need help, um, but you haven't taken any steps around that, um, feel free to reach out to your family doctor. Um, we'll partner really closely with you and, and your family doctor to get you the help that you need. Um, you know, don't hesitate um, to reach out. And if, uh, you know, if there's somebody that you care about that you're concerned about, you know, feel free to check in with them, right? You don't have to push them. You don't have to pry if they don't want to talk about it. But if, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to say to somebody that you care about, you know, you, you seem a little more stressed than usual. Um, I'm here to talk if you want to. Yeah, having a conversation is a great first step. Dr. Selchin, thanks for the time today. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks, you too. Dr. Stephen Selchin, Chief of Psychiatry and Medical Director of Mental Health and Addiction Services at Joseph Brandt Hospital. Yeah, if you need some help, call Joe Brandt, uh, call Hamilton Health Sciences, uh, speak to a friend, chat with a family member, get it uh, on the table and out there, and uh, you'll be on your way to a, uh, a, a better time in terms of dealing with your mental health. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Zamprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.